0: Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. I'm glad that God is still in charge. He's still Lord. Nothing has changed that he is incredibly in love with your heart I know we oftentimes talk about how much he loves us and he does but let's be honest sometimes we're not the most lovable people maybe you're sitting next to one of those that's not the most lovable people but when I look in the mirror I don't always see the most lovable people And if you're like me, you really wish the person that was down deepest in your heart could be the person you really are. Can anybody relate to that? You ever walk away from a situation and say, why did I do that to them? Why did I make that mistake again? Why did I lose my patience with them? And that's what I, I love about God is he, he doesn't look on all the outward. I'm not saying that's not important, but he looks at where? Our heart. And he's always speaking to us to draw that man or that woman out of us. When the enemy speaks to you, he always speaks to you about what you've done. When God speaks to you, he's speaking to you about who you're going to become. That's a good word right there. Would you join with me in turning your Bibles to the book of John, chapter number 7. the Lord's help, I'm sharing with you what I believe he's put in my heart. Something I've entitled wet wood and a pregnant church. Hopefully when we're done it makes sense. Right now it just looks stupid. John chapter 7 verse 37 In the last day that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Would you stretch your hands this way and pray with me and for me this morning? Father, I come to you and I I'm always reminded of my need for you to help me to share what you have put in my heart. And first, I just feel compelled, God, to take authority over every demonic spirit that would hinder. I pray against every contrary voice, every contrary spirit. I pray against any spirit of misunderstanding, spirit of division. I pray against every spirit that would steal this morning. Father, your word is precious. And I pray that, Father, that you would would just help me to have the freedom I need to share your heart. Not that I might impress anybody, but God, that you, your word might touch somebody's heart today. And I thank you, Father, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Wet wood in a pregnant church. Years ago at the first church that we ever pastored, in a misdirected but certainly a sincere effort to grow the church, we used to occasionally have special days. And one of them that we had every, every fall was family day. It was an opportunity for people to uh, invite family members. As long as there was a blood connection, you can invite them. Dad, mom, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, second cousin, third cousin, 47th cousin, it doesn't matter. And the family that brought the most people won a prize. And it was typically one of our best, if not our best attended service every year because there's a lot of family feuding going on. But after a couple of years it became evident that nobody was ever going to beat the Hunt family. The Hunt family had 13 children and at least half of them or more were now Adults and married and continuing the family tradition had lots of children. And so it was typical when we would have family day, this family would have, you know, seven people show up and this family would have nine and this would have 12. And then the Hunt family would have 26, 32. And so they'd come up and just, you know, after three or four years, it was just almost tedium. You knew you were going to lose to the Hunt family, no matter how hard you tried. And in a moment of just being me, I, we finally a had the Hunt family come up front and, and congratulated them and released them to go back to their seats. And, and I, I, I said something along this line. I said, you know, I love the Hunt family, but Fra- Frankly, I'm tired of seeing them win every year. Some of you all need to go home and make some babies. <laughs> I saw husbands looking at wives. You get that? Pastor told us <laughs> that's an order from the man of God to go home and make some babies. We all can put our foot in our mouth once in a while, can't we? (laughs) Can I tell you that God is looking in these days that we live in for a pregnant church? Years ago, I preached a message called Pregnant with Revival. And that message is truer now than it even was then. We are living in times that are pregnant with revival. If you look in the Spirit and you see in the Spirit and you operate in the Spirit, we are living in times that there is an expectation of something about to go down. How many know what I'm talking about? whether you're in the church or you're outside and you don't have a relationship with God, there is a certain feeling of expectancy, like things are not normal and they don't feel like they're going to return to normal. I'm not talking about a pandemic. And... This verse just keeps rolling over and over in my spirit. This is one of the verses that that if you slow down and, and read it and try to capture the moment, you find that they're gathered together for the last day, great day feast. They're seated, and they're seated around the table, tables, and they're eating. And you can imagine all of the busyness. You know how it is when people eat. It just becomes a dull roar. How many know what I'm talking about? There's just a dull roar of noise as people share and give and talk. And, and in the midst of that, the Bible says that Jesus stands up and cries out. The Bible is filled with instances where it says, and Jesus said. There are only a few verses where it says, and Jesus cried out. He wasn't being quiet. He was crying out to not only get their attention, but to drive a point home. That what I'm saying here is important. He says, if any man thirst, the reality is all of us thirst for something. Every one of us in this room thirsts for something. I'm not talking about a thirst for, for, for liquid, though we have that. I'm talking about there is something in our life that compels us. We thirst for something. Thirst for no longer being depressed, thirst for no longer being in bondage, thirst for not being afraid, thirst for being loved, thirst for attention, thirst for a sense of self-worth. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There's a thirst inside of us. And Jesus is emphatic in this moment because he, he understands that if You don't direct that thirst in the right way. You will direct it in the wrong way, says Captain Obvious. And you will seek to satisfy that thirst in ways and through means and people that will never satisfy the thirst. It's like being in a raft in the middle of the ocean and you look out and you see all of that water and you're thirsty, and something inside of you says, I know what they say, but surely that water will quench my thirst. I mean, know what I'm talking about. Surely I can at least put it in my mouth and swish it around, and I won't feel as thirsty, even if I don't swallow it. I'm just going to wet my whistle. I'm just going to take some seawater in, and and wet my mouth. I'll spit it out. I'm not going to swallow it because I just don't want to be thirsty anymore. And yet they they, survivalists tell you that that is the beginning of the end because you take the seawater in and you swish it in your mouth and you don't swallow it and, and you spit it out and in the moment, for the moment, it feels better. But in reality now you're thirstier than you were before. No matter what you do in life to try to fill that thirst, no matter what you reach for, be it be it money or sex or attention or or popularity or influence or alcohol or drugs or food or You just name it. Whatever you try to lose yourself in will never satisfy that thirst. It will leave you thirstier than you started. It will leave you wondering, how can I get out of this mess? And so Jesus cried with a loud voice, if any man, I like that, there's no barrier there. If anybody... It doesn't matter to him what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter to him if you're male or female, young, old. It doesn't matter to him whether you've been a good person or you've been a, you've been a, you've been a real case. I had to be careful there. It doesn't matter. It just said if you're thirsty, I want you to come to me. He invites us to come to him, not because he's needing attention, because he knows that he is the only thing that can satisfy. He once stood at a well with a woman, and he asked her something to drink. And he told her, if you only knew who I was, if you only knew what I could do for you, you'd ask of me for something to drink. Because you're going to give me this drink of water and I'm going to drink, but I'm going to be thirsty again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst. You will just keep coming back and I'll keep satisfying and satisfying. Jesus cried with a loud voice. If any man thirsts, let him come to me. I want to tell you, church, that this is a time like never before. You need to be going after God. At the same time that it's getting darker, it's getting lighter. At the same time that man is growing colder, man is growing hotter. And you and I get to decide which direction we're moving. And if you fall to the deception that something other than Jesus is going to satisfy that need. Your life will end up tragically. You may end up on the top of the economic hill, but you will end up tragically. You may end with the adoration of all men, but you will end up tragically. You may even find the love of your life, but you will end up tragically. Nobody can satisfy this thirst like Jesus. Nothing can connect you to eternity like a relationship with God. And you and I need to be going after him. I believe that here at Encounter, you get the word of God given to you, whether it's preached or taught. But I want to tell you that is not enough. God will not ask you, who was your pastor? It will all come down to, do you know him? And in Matthew chapter 10, there's a story of ten virgins. Now listen, there's been arguments all over the place about who they were. It's real clear in Scripture who they are. All ten of them are virgins. All ten of them are looking for the coming of man. All ten of them had vessels. All ten of them had oil. There were five that were looking and five that were looking. There were five that had vessels. There were five that had vessels. There were five that had oil. There were five that had oil. There were five that heard he was about to come, and there were five that heard that he was about to come. And there were five that trimmed their lamps, and there were five that trimmed their lamps. And there were five that didn't have enough oil. And there were five that did. That is the only difference between the two groups of people. And in that moment when things are just rushing forward so fast, The five that didn't have enough turned to the five that did and said, give us some of your oil. We don't have enough to make it through what we're facing. And the five that had enough said, you don't understand. It doesn't work that way. You got to get this for yourself. And while the five that were foolish were getting it for themselves, the bridegroom came and took the other five away. You can make of that story anything you want to make of it. But these five got left. And when they got left, as Jesus tells the story, they were shocked. They were surprised that they were left. And they knocked on the door and said to the bridegroom, Whoa. Well, what are you doing? You left us here. Did, did, did we not prophesy in your name? He didn't argue. Did we not preach in your name? He didn't argue. Did we not do miracles in your name? He didn't argue. They said, then why are we getting in? And he turned to them and said, I I never knew you. I never knew you. You learned how to use my name. You learned how to fake everybody out. You learned how to put on a good show. Well, let's get real. It never was between you and I. There was no intimacy here. There was no you and I. There was no God coming to my life. There was, there was, there was no intimacy where you laid yourself bare, where you, you brought your struggles to him and you kept bringing your struggles to him because you know at any moment he could change it all. You, you brought your struggles to him one time or two and then you gave up on him. And we live in a give up on society, and you just don't give up on people. And you certainly don't ever give up up on God. That word know is a very, very intimate word. You can follow its, its lineage all the way back to Genesis, where the Bible says that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. Most all of us in here are adults, they, they had a relationship. Listen to me. And in that moment of relationship, Eve yielded herself to Adam. And the seed of who Adam was, was placed inside of Eve. And it was placed inside of her belly. And it, it began to grow. And that seed that was planted inside of her contained the DNA of Adam. It was the essence of of who Adam was. Are you with me so far? And in that moment, life began to grow inside of Eve. Do you ever wonder why this world is so hell bent on, on abortion? It's because the enemy hates it not only for the life that it kills, but it reminds him of what he never had with God, and that was intimacy. He was always performing for God. That's a good place to say amen right there. And we got to be careful. We in the church get all caught up with people who perform well for God, but have no real relationship with him. And God is looking for a church that, that, that more than just attends a service. Thank God that you're here and, and more than watches online. And thank God if you're watching online. But they have an intimate relationship with him where he imparts from himself into them. And when they receive that into themselves, then they become pregnant with him. The life of him becomes joined with the life in them and they become pregnant. Somebody say amen. And Jesus said, if you you thirst and come to me, I'll I'll have an intimate relationship time with you where, where a word from me. Listen, church, read your Bible. Get into the word, read it, and then read it again, and then read it some more, but it doesn't stop there. There's a spirit of God that's been sent who will speak to you, who will intimately speak to you, And you say, brother, I don't believe that. And that's why he's not speaking to you. There's a spirit that will speak to you and he will never contradict the word of God, but he will make more real to you the word of God. And we are struggling in the the church today that we're living on what God said Instead of what God is saying. And if you don't think that's important. Ask Isaac. Because as Isaac laid on the altar. Abraham had what God said. But in that last moment. Abraham got a word from God. That changed everything. We can't be a people that only live on what God said. Hear me, I'll say it again. He will never do anything to contradict what he said. But he will make known what he said through a right now word. He will personalize his scripture to, uh, to you in a right now word. But the Holy Spirit cannot bring to your remembrance... Those things that God said unless you read what God said. Maybe David will remember this. I think it was the second time or the third time I ever preached. And it was a Sunday night in a town hall in... York Township Ohio and the point I was trying to make is the importance of hearing God's voice and knowing God's voice that's the point I was trying to make and I was trying to draw the line between relationship with God and knowing his voice that you know you you have to know the person if 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 you don't know Jeff, then you won't know his voice. Does that make sense? But if you know him, then when you hear his voice, you'll say, well, that sounds like Jeff. Somebody's with me. And so that, that's the simple point I was trying to make. The, the, the problem was I wasn't doing a very good job of it, and, and I'm, 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 I'm grasping for straws on how to draw that conclusion. And, and something had happened just a few weeks before this message, and that was that Gail, Beth, and I got married. And I said, it's it's kind of like with Gail Beth and I. You know that now that I know her. I know her voice. So when she speaks to me, I know to obey. (laughs) David rode me like a bad pony about that for weeks. Shame on you, David. No, it's such a personal word of intimacy. But out of intimacy comes pregnancy. Some, something, something will happen. Something that, that will, uh, will come alive inside of you. When you're pregnant, there's changes. There's changes in the body. When a woman becomes pregnant, her body changes. Finally, I got most of your attention. You talking about that, Pastor? Yeah, we're talk about that. Her body changes. Her body adapts to the new life inside of her. When, when, when the church becomes pregnant, there will come a change in the body of Christ. We will quit looking at the people on that side of the pulpit as superheroes and we will see them for what they are, flawed human beings that are just doing their best to fulfill the will of God in their life. We'll quit thinking that our job, I've heard this out of preacher's mouth. I'm not making this up. There are some pastors who think your only job is to put a butt in a pew and money in the offering plate. That's not the fulfillment of God's calling on your life. The fulfillment of God's calling on your life is to, first off, have a genuine relationship with him, but to then share that with others. If any man thirst, let him come unto me, and I will have an intimate relationship with him, and that out of their bellies shall flow rivers of living water. If you have a real relationship with God, you can't shut it down to an hour and a half on Sunday morning. It's not just between seven and eight thirty on Wednesday night. It's all day, every day, twenty four seven thing. It's a change in the body when the body can get uncomfortable where, where they used to be comfortable. If you're pregnant with God, listen, there are some things that you do right now that you won't be comfortable doing anymore. Amen. There will be some things that you're okay with now that you won't be okay with. You're just not comfortable with that. You're not comfortable listening to that anymore. You're not comfortable watching that anymore. You're not comfortable acting like that anymore. When you're pregnant, your appetite changes. Somebody should have warned me. I should have been warned that would happen. Our oldest son was born in February, so the last months of Gail Best's pregnancy was in the wintertime here in Northern Ohio. Her appetite changed. I didn't see that as a big thing. I didn't quite understand the importance of that. And it's 11 o'clock at night and we're driving up Interstate 71 somewhere just north of Columbus, Ohio. And we're driving along, and she says, could you give me some corn on the cob? I said, darling, it's January in northern Ohio, 11 o'clock at night. Where am I going to find corn on the cob? No, I can't. I just drive along. After a few minutes, I think, she's awful quiet over there. I look over, and I said, baby, you okay? I want corn in the cob, and I want it now. said, <laughs> okay, okay. Every exit, we get off, I go into the restaurant. Y'all got corn in the cob? And they look at me. It's January. No, we don't have corn in the cob. I said, thank you. Go to the next exit, go into the truck stop. Y'all got corn in the cob here? Corn on the cob, what is wrong with you? No, we don't have corn on the cob. I'm make about two more stops. Finally, I said, honey, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't find any corn on the cob. She goes, all right, how about Pringles? I said, wait a minute, <laughs> why wasn't it Pringles? 45 minutes and four embarrassing conversations ago. Pringles, I can do. Corn on the cob, not so much. But your appetite changes. I don't remember which child we had, but at one point, her appetite was buttermilk and grape juice mixed together. Is that what it was? Eggnog and grape juice, Okay. And, and, and if she let it sit in the cup for just a couple of minutes, it was grape-colored cottage cheese. She didn't care. <laughs> I mean, she swigged it like a boss. How many women can agree with me? When you're pregnant, your appetite changes. Let, 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 me, let me help you. If you're struggling in your relationship with God, you just need to get pregnant by him. His, your appetite will change. There, there, I, I, don't ask me to take you through all the scriptures to prove my point. I'm talking to you as a fellow traveler down the same trail every one of us is walking. And it's simply this. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Resist the devil... And he will flee. You know what that means? I got to do two things. I got to go after God. And I have to know there's going to be resistance. There's an enemy between me and God who knows. That the moment I break through. The moment I get into that intimate relationship with God. The moment I finally push him aside. And I grab a hold of God with everything I have, He knows that I will in that moment become persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principality, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth will ever be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And He knows that. And so He fights. And I just have to resist. I just have to keep going. And I fall down and I get up and I keep pressing. And I fall down and I get up and I keep pressing because there will come a moment, not that the fight will be over, but I will be winning the fight every day at that point. And so I just have to draw nigh to God. And knowing that as I'm drawing nigh to Him, He's also closing the distance. And as I'm resisting the devil... God is smacking the devil on the back of the head. I'm doing my part, and I need to know, and I need to be reminded that even though I can't see it, he's working. And even though I don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. He never stops. He never stops working. And so you know that, and you know that for every one step you take, he's taking 99 And there will come a moment when that distance between you and him is closed. And you will know that he's yours and and you will know that you're his. And you become pregnant with him. And in that moment you can say, don't tell me he's real. He's living inside of me. I'm carrying around Jesus inside of me. And I can't help but get it out. And I wanna tell you, it will only be a pregnant church that makes it through what's coming. Hear me again. I'm not a prophet of doom, I'm a prophet of truth. There's a difference. There is a battle preparing to happen. And if you're not pregnant with God, if you're not filled up with Jesus, You will not make it through that battle. That will not be the time to go out and look to fill the gap or the lack that you have right now. You need to press through. I know there's been a lot of talk about a last day revival, a last day outpouring. I believe that's going to happen. My wife and I have spent our... our 30-plus years of ministry believing that's going to happen. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. The thing I like about that is I don't need any government to align with the truth of God. I don't need the world to align with the truth of God. I, as a body of Christ, need to align myself with the truth of God, And then God is ready. Then something will happen. He's not listening to the speeches given in Columbus, Ohio, or the speeches given in Washington, D.C. He's listening to the conversations in prayer closets, and in hammocks, and in walks, and in bedrooms, and in in, in living rooms all across America to people who are lifting their voice to God. If my people, I'll I'll, I'll tell you when the outpouring is going to come, when two conditions are met. Number one, when the church becomes fully pregnant. And secondly, when the wood gets wet enough. First Kings 18. You thought I forgot about that, didn't you? There's a story of Elijah. Jezebel and Ahab are reigning. What a perfect parallel to the day that we live in. The spirit of Jezebel and the spirit of Ahab are flooding this world in ways that I never thought possible. And in that time, everybody was suffering. There was no rain. There was famine in the land. Ahab, King Ahab, got up one morning and he said, Listen, we got to find a place where there's water. Somewhere there's got to be some green grass to feed our cows and our horses. So he tells Obadiah, you go in that direction and see if you can find some place. And I'll go in that direction. I'll see if I can find some place. And so they let out. What neither of them knew was that God was working on the solution, even while they were trying to solve the problem. And God talked to Elijah and said, I want you to go talk to King Ahab. So Elijah is making his way to King Ahab, and he runs into Obadiah and he tells Obadiah, go tell your master, I want to talk to him. And Obadiah, even though he has a sincere relationship with God, he's afraid. And he said, Elijah, you know what will happen? If I go tell him you want to meet with him and we come back here and you're not here, he will kill me. You know what he's been doing. You know what he's like. Elijah said, I swear to you upon my own name, when you get back here, I will be here. And I want to tell those that think that the church is going away, you have no idea. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church. We will be here until God is finished with us. We're not going anywhere, regardless of what they do and regardless of how they feel. The church and the word of God are not going anywhere. The church did not lose an election. We don't need an election to win. We have Jesus and he makes us more than a conqueror. So Obadiah goes to King Ahab and said, hey, Elijah's over there. He wants to talk to you. Ahab comes to Elijah and he says, so you're the one that's causing all of our problems. Does that not sound like today? Ahab said, no, sir, you and your family and the way you conduct your affairs is causing all the problems. And he said, I I think we need to decide right now whether the God you serve is God or the God I serve is God. So I want to tell you this. Gather all of them at Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets that eat with Jezebel at her dinner table every night Do the math, it's 850. And I will talk to you then and gather all of the people so they can be a witness. They gather at Mount Carmel. 850 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets that sit at Jezebel's table. All of the people, Ahab and Jezebel present. And he says, I I, I challenge Baal to prove that he's God. Let's take two oxen and sacrifice them. You 850 build your altar, I'll build my altar. And whatever God answers by fire, whatever God sends fire from heaven down to consume the sacrifice, that will be God. All right. Elijah said, since there's 850 of you guys, go ahead first. And the Bible says that they started first thing in the morning. And they worked all the way till noon. And Jezebel just kept his mouth shut. Or Elijah just kept his mouth shut. Starting at noon, he started to aggravate them. Maybe, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe that's why he's not answering. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe Baal's asleep. I think if you cried out louder that he would hear you. And that aggravates them. Can I tell you it's okay if the church aggravates to bring about truth? Oh, y'all are quiet on that. We are at times meant to be the fly in the ointment. the 850 get so frustrated the Bible says they start to cut themselves with their swords and their spears and they're literally dropping their blood all over the sacrifice trying to prove to their God how earnest they are noon turns to 3 o'clock 3 o'clock turns to 6 o'clock nothing happens Elijah said that's enough it's my turn There's coming our turn, folks. So Elijah rebuilds his little altar. Can you imagine that? 850 against one. 850. One. Quit counting. You that are facing a problem, quit counting on. that's a word. That wasn't in my message. Quit counting. Quit telling God how many times you failed. You failed but one time. And the moment you pray and get that under the blood, you haven't failed any times. Quit counting. Quit counting all the things that are against you. It's irrelevant. Quit counting. Quit counting all the things that could go wrong. Quit counting. And Elijah built his little altar. And then he sacrificed the oxen and he put it on the wood. And most of us think Elijah should start right there when everything is in his favor. Are you hearing me? Elijah said no. And so he dug a ditch around the altar. All the way around, he dug a ditch. And when he got done digging the ditch, he got the help of some people and he started pouring water on. I'm gonna tell you, when you wanna start a fire, wet wood is not the way to go. I learned that the hard way in a campground in Michigan years ago. We come back from a day at the beach and We have one of my sons, one of our sons and his friend with us, and they've been looking forward all day to cooking marshmallows because, you know, camping ain't camping if you don't have s'mores. Okay? If you don't have s'mores, you're just sleeping in a tent. You're not camping. How many know what I'm talking about? So all day long, they've been looking forward to coming home and and doing s'mores. And I, I, I bought my firewood at the local gas station and it looked like it was good I was a little concerned but we got it there and you could not make that stuff burn for nothing listen I, I, I know how to make fires it was just the wood was just too wet and it didn't matter what I did and wouldn't you know it just 60 feet away there's another campsite and there's some dude over there that's heating the northern half of Michigan with his fire. And there's the two boys sitting on their camp stools with a stick and two marshmallows waiting. And I'm fighting and fighting. I don't, I'm not getting anywhere. And they look past me at that guy over there. Fire. And finally my son says the worst thing that a son could say to his father dad he knows how to make fire maybe you could go ask him how many feeling my pain right now maybe you could go ask him to build you a fire I know how to build a fire, okay? Just, just give me a minute here. Ten more minutes of them sitting there. Dan? Yes? Would you get mad if we go over to his fire? Stupid s'mores. Bring it here. I got a blowtorch. I'll cook that marshmallow for you. And then five minutes later, why does it taste like propane? Just just eat it. Just And Elijah poured on the water. And when those around him thought he was stupid, he said, Pour on more. The wood isn't wet enough. Are oh, you hearing me prophetically? while the wood is getting wetter it will feel like we're getting farther away from a fire and we're getting closer because Elijah then when he had soaked the offering and soaked the wood and the ditch around the altar was filled with water Elijah turns his head towards heaven and says, God, now it's your turn. Show these people who is God. Show these people who is God. And fire not only came down and began to consume the offering, the Bible says it jumped into the ditch of water and began to lick it up (laughs) our job is to not lose faith in God while the wood is getting wet because I want to tell you exactly when revival will come when the church is pregnant and the wood is wet that's a word just stand to your feet this morning that's Bishop Michael Rice lead pastor of Encounter more messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website godenc.com you can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes find us on Facebook Under Encounter.